the show begins. It's time to break the show down musically. I hope for you it is not agony. The show is full of so much fun that won't stop till the hour's done. Let's begin. A giant lizard fights a butterfly. It's not half bad and Cole will tell you why. But will its giant lizard scales be enough to conquer ticket sales? Followed by a lively chat about the musical. We'll share our faves and those unwatchable. And then, of course, we'll pan for good, just like we know we should. We've all enjoyed this intro song, but now it's time to move along. The show begins in five, four, three, two, Wow, Cole. Can you believe that intro? I bet you didn't know I had such a great voice. I learn something new every show with you, Jeff. Here's a box of Kleenex for you, Cole. I know you'll need it Oof, after that. It was emotional, <laughs> to say the least. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. This is Screen Cleaning, the show that helps you helps us, really, shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. Because there's plenty of good going around. Right. And we start off each and every show by giving you the very best in entertainment news. Now, Cole, you and I often, well, mostly me, I know you don't uh, put too much stock into Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, None at all, actually. Okay. But some of us just want a clear, cut, and dry, do people like this movie or do they not? So there's obviously the critic score and the audience score. And not surprisingly, the audience score is usually higher than the critic score. Depending on the movie. There's, True. There's all the prestige ones, and, and the Oscars have a stink on them for picking movies that critics like, but the audiences don't. Right. I just I remember when Captain Marvel came out, and there seemed to be a lot of hateful reviews for Captain Marvel. Hateful reviews for a movie with a woman in it? Oh, no. <laughs> And Rotten Tomatoes is doing something to kind of strike back at these, not these naysayers, but the reason we're seeing such low scores from the audience is likely due to fake reviews, if you can believe it. First there was fake news, now there's fake reviews, next there'll be fake blues. These are alternative reviews, as Kellyanne Conway once said. And so now they've put something in in place that will help them to only show verified ratings from the audience. So these but are people, how, Jeff. These are people that have actually purchased the tickets. I don't know how they do it, <laughs> but they've done it. Remember when MoviePass made you take a picture of your ticket in order to get yes. the movie for free? Essentially, MoviePass, what's that? Well, it's dominated most of our discussion on the years of screen cleaning, but maybe Rotten Tomatoes will do a similar thing where you have to take a picture of your ticket to prove before you write your review. So we're going to circle back to that when we get a review for Godzilla King of the Monsters here in just a minute. Spoiler alert, the critic score is lower than the audience score. Who would have thunk? (laughs) But uh, in other news... I've never seen this really before, Cole, the, the backlash that people have 
people have voiced their opinion on this Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. <laughs> and usually, you know, people, the, the filmmakers just say, oh, well, and they, they take their licks and they come what may. They're going to release that movie on time. But no, this filmmaker decided we're going to push this movie three months back. So now it will no longer come out in 2019, but in 2020 so that we can change Sonic's teeth from straight to sharp. The the whole look of Sonic ever since the first trailer, ever since the first images, ever since he was just kind of a silhouette with like a blue tint around him <sighs> has been very confusing and, and pretty bad looking. Um, but they're going through the effort to changing. This is a good thing, Jeff. This is the good is? In news. It is. You're it, sure. It means we'll get a better movie. Right, because every just, time every time Hollywood's uh, ever pushed a release date back, it's meant good things. You know, <laughs> if anything, take more time to work on the script. Uh, it's it all starts with a good story, Cole. Uh-huh. I don't care what the teeth of a hedgehog look like. I just want a good story. I think compelling, you're teasing, compelling teasing some of my Godzilla review again. Uh oh. Okay. Well, let's not. Uh, Get ahead of ourselves. Okay. In other news, it looks like we may be honing in on a new Batman. Ben Affleck was going to star in this film and direct it. Then he was just going to direct it. Now he's doing neither, and they're going in a whole different direction, and it's kind of an origin story for Batman, so they need somebody younger. You know who it is, Cole? Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Uh, It's this week. In DC News, Robert Pattinson will be our new Batman. That was this week in DC News. But knowing DC, that could all change very quickly. Exactly. That's why I got the little sound effects. Right. I think that this one, they're pretty firm in. And despite audiences' initial reactions for all the audience members that have only ever, maybe not even seen Twilight, but only remember Robert Pattinson from being in Twilight. They're very cynical about this. The man has Mm. done a lot of indie and other acting fairs since then, and I think that this could be an amazing thing. Uh, That's why I I guess I'm surprised. Aside from uh, Twilight, and I guess he did a Harry Potter film, he's mostly done indie movies. Like He's been so super choosy about his movies. I am surprised that he is willing to go back into right. the blockbuster. Not not that Warner Brothers wanted him, because I think he's a great actor. I'm surprised that he was willing to kind of subject himself to this again. Yeah. I understand there's a movie that's out this weekend that is not half bad, as we've already established. There are a few. The one that I got to see was Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Thank you for saying it like that. Godzilla! It is. It is. It, the movie itself is more of a throwback to the original Toho Godzillas that we got all through the fifties and the sixties, and, mm-hmm. and that original kind of idea that more important than the story or the characters are giant monsters fighting giant monsters. Yes, and that's that's what this movie embraces. And I've tried to see what other fellow critics and other audience people are thinking of this movie, and I, I want to pull back just a second. And say just because this is certainly a spectacle and it's certainly exciting to see monsters smashed up against one another, mm-hmm. that I don't want to excuse movies like this from trying even just a little bit on their plot or their contrivances or their villains. 
every single character in this movie is entirely forgettable other than the big CGI monsters. And there are action movies that take it a little bit more seriously than this one did. Just because you say, oh, you know what you're going to get when you go to a Godzilla movie. Or, sure. Or what, what more can you expect? Well, I do. I expect some kind of a plot. <laughs> That's beyond just um, humans are bad and the viruses of the world and and climate change and something something convoluted villain. They they boil down a very complicated issue into just one guy doing a stupid thing that Wait, you the, know is bad. The monsters aren't the villains. So King Ghidorah traditionally has been the bad guy. Monster. Is this the lizard butterfly or the three headed dragon? Okay, thing. thank you. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Godzilla is the big lizard. Yes. Mothra is the butterfly, and then Rodan is the other monster that you will see in this. Rodan traditionally switches sides depending on who he's an opportunist kind of a monster. Sure. Godzilla's yeah. always the good guy, and then Mothra is also normally a good guy, except when Godzilla went against Mothra. Mothra is known to be mind controlled and things like that. But he totally is. But Ghidorah is an alien-ish kind of a monster that is risen from the ground and he goes up against, uh, at one point, all three of our different monsters. Many monsters switch allegiances. They they have many, many fights. They're all beautiful to look at. But at the end of the day, the, I mean, I enjoyed it when I saw it, but the more I'm seeing people say, oh, it's just a dumb action movie, you don't need a plot, I want I want to just raise my hand and say I w- I would like a plot please something mm. but I mean you still enjoyed it because it's a Godzilla movie and you're a Godzilla fan Absolutely Does one have to have seen the rest of the Godzilla movies to enjoy this Not at all and not really? even the most recent So this is the start of a new monsters universe that includes Godzilla of 2014 Kong Skull Island of yeah, 2017 they, the, and now this one. The post credit scene alluded to this film, right? Yes. And we are wow. going, there's plenty of references, don't worry, to Skull Island and the fact that Godzilla will eventually face King Kong. We already <gasps> knew that movie was happening. Whoa. It's not a shocker, but it was still exciting to see. So go see it. You don't have to have seen the other films, just don't expect much of a plot. So it's not the only option out in movie theaters. There's another movie that will probably do quite well, I'm guessing. But we are not going to talk about it on the show today because it is rated R and it is Rocket Man. As most musical biopics actually are. That's right. Because, believe it or not, some of these musicians kind of have uh, unique and uh, they get crazy up to lives. nefarious things. Sure. When you have that much money just pouring down on you... You'd be surprised what things you might be into. But uh, we're talking Rocket Man, of course, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who also directed a portion of Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Not most of. He came in, I think, with two weeks left of Bohemian Rhapsody. Should have gotten the credits for Bohemian Rhapsody. So basically, I, I read one review of this that said Dexter Fletcher saved all of his good stuff for Rocket Man. Ooh. This is getting much better reviews, much better buzz. And, uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for Best Picture and won, I think, like four out of five of the Oscars it was nominated. Got a Best Editing Award and it made a ton of money in the international box office. So that's saying a lot. So uh, we did, however, want to use the release of Rocket Man to springboard into a discussion today. And you may have guessed from the cold open, we're going to be talking about the musical today here on Screen Cleaning. 
And when we return, we're going to give you some of our favorites. We're going to give you some of our least favorites. And we're going to talk about some of the different types of musicals. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. What do you say? We'll do all the same things, except we're breaking a spontaneous singing and choreography with no discernible music source. Hmm. What assurance would we have that everyone else would also break into song and do the same thing? I don't know. I think they probably will. Fair enough. I'm in. I know what we're gonna do today. I know what we're gonna do today, no, Ferb. This is Phineas and Ferb's musical, The Roller Coaster, oh. where they sort of uh, remake the pilot episode where they make a roller coaster, um, but they uh, break into song and dance, and everyone joins along. So, a musical TV episode, something we'll talk about here in just a minute. I've never seen Phineas and Ferb. Oh, it was one of my favorite kids' shows that adults can enjoy, and I will always pound the drum for Phineas and Ferb over here. But jumping on the back of this, uh, there is a very funny Saturday Night Live sketch where Norm MacDonald is the leader of this gang, and I think it was the episode that Robert Downey Jr. hosted, and he's kind of this character that is surprised that everybody keeps spontaneously breaking into song. And he's like, wait, you, you all knew the same words. Yeah, yeah, you know, as Norm Macdonald does. <laughs> um, it's one of the it's one of the hallmarks of musicals that we just kind of let it go because <laughs> it's sure. a musical, and that's what we're going to talk about today: is those spontaneous song and dance that we love so much. But sometimes we don't like musicals, and maybe there's only one aspect of that musical that is its only redeeming quality. And sometimes we love musicals, but there's just that one song that we skip on the soundtrack. Sure. Yeah. Fast forward, you know, back in the days you would fast forward your VCR and now you just hit next on the no, I mean people on the Spotify even... playlist. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the kids do nowadays. So, I've voiced this before, I believe on the show, but back when we were doing our definitive Christmas Carol episode. We called it The Christmas Carol. If we could take all the best parts of all the different iterations of that musical and put them all in one, this is what we would get. If you're hoping for a Christmas in July kind of thing, go back and check it out. And I believe I mentioned a song from one of my least favorite, if not the least favorite versions of uh, the Ebenezer Scrooge story, which is simply called Scrooge. This song is called Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. This is a song that was nominated for Best Original Song, and it's really the only part of this movie that I like. Aw. Um, and it's not even Albert Finney getting to sing. It, it comes in a very disturbing part of the movie, or it's presented in a very disturbing way, because Albert Finney's Scrooge is kind of a background player. He can see everybody else, but nobody can see him. And they're all, all these townspeople are standing outside his office singing about Ebenezer Scrooge and they're thanking him. And so he's really, Scrooge is getting into the song thinking that, oh, people did like me after all. But this is the ghost of Christmas future part and it ends up being sad. Right, because they're basically like dancing on his coffin, literally, literally. But I love how later on in the film, this song comes back and has a completely different meaning to it. It's a catchy, twisted, 
and then happy song. That's really the only part of this film that I like. Last week we had a Disney remake. There have been a few Disney remakes in the past, and mm-hmm. not all of them have resonated with me. Um, specifically, Beauty and the Beast, I thought was take it or take it or leave it. But yeah. in these musicals, they will sometimes add a new song. And for me, when the Beast breaks out into this song, in my lonely tower, waiting by an open door. I'll fool myself, she'll walk right in and be with me forevermore. It is Evermore, mm. sung here by Dan Stevens, and I loved it. I loved that addition to a story and a plot that I understood and I had already seen before. This added to that remake and made me love it, it made me think that I liked it a little bit more than I actually did. You know, while I, or before I forget this, I want to bring this up. Beauty and the Beast is a pretty good example of how different musicals are today. Used to be that if they made a movie version of a very popular Broadway musical, a lot of the main stars of the stage production would be brought over to appear in the movie. So you'd have these professional stage players singing their hearts out and dancing their hearts out. So people who really know what they're doing. Beauty and the Beast was a little bit criticized for the fact that it was – it was very auto-tuned, Ooh, right? Beauty and the Beast did not start this trend no, either. One no. of my other favorite songs from a movie musical that I didn't love is one of these Broadway to the film kind of adaptations. It's Phantom of the Opera. The movie mm. itself, I really kind of hate. It's it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible movie. But almost every song, because it's still the songs from Phantom of the Opera, are amazing. Um, even yeah. the ones sung to varying effect by Gerard Butler and, and right. so have you. But uh, especially like the Phantom song, like the bah, 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 that you recognize. Yeah. Love that song. But Hate that movie. The the songwriters are not to blame. The actors themselves are not to blame. It's really the filmmakers that think, you know what? If we don't get a major star in the main role, we're not going to get people to see this. Whereas back in the day, that just wasn't a concern. So now let's talk about some of our uh, – a favorite musical of ours that has a song that, you know what, we probably just skip this one. The one for me is – and to be fair, I'm doing a little bit of a cheat here. It's a song that was ultimately cut from the film, but you can still get it on the soundtrack. Riding in the treetops, it's that rascal, the Should you care? You might recognize that as Judy Garland. I do recognize the person singing. I have no idea what movie it was supposed to be in. From a 1939 film. You may have heard of it. Little film. Didn't do great numbers. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that one. Yeah, only like the most, uh, I mean, the most enduring film of all time, arguably. And just so happens to be a musical. Right. Now, this is one of my favorite musicals. It still holds up after all these years. And again, I mean, Judy Garland was was well known, but uh, they got these actors from vaudeville that knew how to sing, that knew how to dance, that knew how to act, that knew how to do all these shticks that were just so funny back then and are still funny today. I love the character actors in this film. I love the music. And I, I'll admit there are times when I get teary-eyed watching this movie because it is just so good. 
But when I went to see this uh, play in uh, in a theater nearby, they included this song, The Jitterbug, and it was the slowest, most pointless part of the show. I don't want to say pointless. They just didn't need it. Right. Right. But they added it back in. Whenever I went and saw The Lion King on Broadway, I was shocked to learn of a song called The Morning Report, Mm. sung by Zazu, that didn't make its way into the 1994 animated version that I was so familiar with. Sometimes uh, the filmmakers make a good decision to cut the song that we were going to skip anyway. Right. So you can skip the jitterbug. It might give you the jitterbugs if you try to listen to it. I love the musical Hamilton, and we don't have a movie mm. of it yet. And so there is I'm... one that's going to be released. I know that uh, probably sometime in the future. Just like there's going to be a Wicked, and there's going to Broadway. Uh, Hollywood has looked to Broadway for inspiration, just like it looks to books and comic books and everything else. But I want to mention just kind of a theme that I noticed when I was looking for that song that I skip in good musicals, and it's generally like the third or fourth song in the second act, where we get like a little dip in my interest in general before it shoots right back up for the big climax. Right? Okay. And I can listen to the whole Hamilton soundtrack. But right around, take a break and say no to this that come back to back there on the B side. I I start to get a little old of it. Those are some of the longer songs in Hamilton where normally it's just fast rap moving. Um, And then that's where where it kind of loses my attention. So Those are the songs I can skip. What are they called again? Take a break and say no to this. So they're both very aptly named. Sounds like. Take a break from listening and and say no to (laughs) this. Say no to this song. Next. Wow. But if I had to pick one from a movie, because we're talking movies today, also somewhere right around the beginning of Act Two, there's a song called Hard Times from Newsies, which is a musical Mm. that I love. But that song in particular, I can just skip it. I'll go listen to Santa Fe again or or their big show-stopping numbers. Right. But I mean, the reason we go see these musicals or we watch them at home is because we love the music so much, right? I mean, I don't think you go into a musical because you don't want to listen to the music, right? Like, and it seems sing like, along to. Right. And what are some of your favorite songs, Cole, from some of these musicals over the many, many decades that we've had musicals on film? Oh, my goodness. So... Let's start for the most recent and then go backwards. This is the greatest show from The Greatest Showman is the, I mean, that is a show-stopping number if I've ever heard one. And then La La Land was the biggest musical before that, and it's not City of Stars. My favorite song from that musical was the audition song that Emma Stone sings right before we get kind of that montage. Going back a few generations, when you talk golden age musicals, I'm a big fan of the funny song. So Make Them Laugh from Singing in the Rain or Comedy Tonight from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Uh, those were my kind of jam. But really, my favorite songs from musicals are mostly going to come from Disney movies. I'm sure I have a favorite song from every single one of them, but I just want to talk about how Let It Go, even though it got played to death on the radio... When I actually heard it for the first time, I really was reminded of big Broadway-sounding songs, and especially the version of Let It Go that's in the movie, sung by Adina Menzel, not the poppy version that always comes in the credits. Disney has a tendency to do that. But for poppy songs, 
throughout, there's also Oliver and Company. Why should I worry? Yeah, Billy its Joel? soundtrack sounds more poppy. It doesn't remind you of a musical, but it definitely is. I'm glad you mentioned Oliver and Company because a movie with Oliver in it is going to pop up later on in the oh, show. Boy. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Disney movies because that's kind of where my mind went. Because a lot of these other musicals, I just love the entire soundtrack. But then these Disney movies, there are these songs that just give you the chills. I think of Go the Distance from Hercules. I just saw the live-action remake of Aladdin. And you can't deny the fact that A Whole New World is an amazing song. And even in the live-action version, it just sent chills down my spine. There were several songs in Moana that I just loved. And that was a movie uh, just... A side note that I kind of felt like recaptured some of the magic that I felt had been missing from Disney movies since the early 90s when we had The Little Mermaid, part of that world, you know, and Aladdin and The Lion King and that really golden age of Disney movies. A renaissance, if you will. There you go. The renaissance period. There's also a fun theme to see where musicals just make their entire music out of cover songs. Moulin Rouge is such a fun blast of a movie. And it's definitely a musical, but they didn't write like typical Broadway kind of songs for it. They just reworked 60s and 70s love pop songs and especially into the elephant love song medley that Ewan McGregor sings. Um, fantastic. Speaking of Nicole Kidman, they did a similar thing with an animate, a computer animated movie called Happy Feet, where they had a lot of little snippets of songs like Elvis Presley and Queen and whoever sings my way <laughs> as a Frank Sinatra. Uh, there we go. I, he's one of the many people that have sung that song. But interesting. Okay. Well, those are just some of our favorite songs from some musicals that aren't necessarily our favorites. But when we return, we will be sharing some of our favorites, as well as talking about some of the different types of musical films. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. I know every mile will be worth my while. I would go most anywhere to feel like I belong. You're gonna miss it round here, gonna hurt him badly, but you can't stay away for one whole year. I know that I'm not crazy. Everything comes down to I hope that I'm not crazy. When we move, I'm gonna have my own private loo. How am I supposed to tell him that he's not moving too? Oh my god, he doesn't have a clue. I'm crazy! If you'd like Cole, call me crazy, but I don't know what that is from. It's from a musical. Musical on TV? A musical on TV. It is the Scrubs musical episode called uh. My musical and this is the end of act one the thing i love Cole, about i don't those, want no scrubs the scrubs or i don't need what how does that go salt and pepper is or is it tlc no scrubs no yes. scrubs there we go <laughs> but in the scrubs musical at the end of act one they do that thing that musicals often do where they combine a lot of the songs that we've already heard into a little medley and then it has a big emotional ending that leaves us on a cliffhanger to want to come back to act two and It does that so well because when they were making this episode of television, they brought in a bunch of people, including one of the stars of the Broadway musical Avenue Q, to come and kind Mm. of build the songs for them. 
You know, Cole, when you talk about musical TV, the only thing I can really think of or appreciate is from The Simpsons. They have just so many wonderful musical moments on The Simpsons that, I mean, I could name a bunch of them. They they did an episode that spoofed Mary Poppins, something that might come up a little later. They did it, uh, an episode that spoofed The Music Man, again, something that might be talked about in a so little bit. So if you bit. spoof Jeff's favorite things, he's going to love them. <laughs> right. I mean, so basically, instead of Trouble on The Simpsons, they're singing about a monorail. Monorail. Monorail, written by a very funny man. You may have heard of him, Conan O'Brien. He wrote the episode, the monorail episode, and the Mary Poppins episode on The Simpsons is Sherry Bobbins because they don't want to get sued. So it's Sherry Bobbins, not Mary Poppins. And there are so many song and dance numbers on that show that we won't uh, spend all the time to list all of them. My favorite part of when television episodes just randomly do a musical episode is when they make it an integral part of the show and, like, why this is happening. In a Flash and Supergirl crossover episode on the CW, they brought in Darren Criss of Glee fame, talking about musical television in general, um, and he was a supervillain that made Supergirl and Flash dream that they were in a musical. And so that's why they were singing. It had a reason for them singing as opposed to just... Oh, they're singing for this episode? In that Scrubs musical I talked about, the patient, played by the Avenue Q star, has a large aneurysm in her brain, and that's why she's hearing music. And they're trying to figure out why she's hearing this music during the course of the episode. Grey's Anatomy does a similar thing. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they go against a musical demon that makes everyone sing in song and dance in Once More with Feeling. Hmm. Okay. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because I I would think that a lot of these shows that are going to have a musical episode in their marketing, they're making a big deal about it. Like, on a special musical episode of – I guess that's to be expected, though, because these are shows that typically don't have – break out into song and dance routines, right? Yeah, I mean, Glee is a musical every single episode, so is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Those those are musical television shows in general. I'm yeah. talking about the special musical episode of right. How I Met Your Mother or whatever. Yeah, and typically in animation, you don't see that big marketing push because it's not as uncommon for the characters to just start singing. You know, you think of South Park, you think of Family Guy, The Simpsons. SpongeBob had some amazing musical moments. Yeah, Ren and Stimpy had some great moments too. But that's TV musicals. But we we mentioned at the beginning of the program that we weren't going to talk about Rocket Man. However, there are kind of a lot of films that have been made about musicians. The bio, the musical biopic, right? A subgenre of the larger, just big genre of biopics, the true-to-life movies that I don't really like. If I came close to liking one, it would be Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, another very rated R affair that I wouldn't really recommend and isn't really that good, but... It does make fun of all the tropes and the trappings of these musical biopics that I don't like. Okay, but can you really say anything disparaging against one of my favorite musical biopics of all time, really one of my favorite movies of all time, Amadeus? Amadeus, Amadeus. I can say that it's more than three hours long. That's and then I've never true. actually seen the whole thing. It's not more than three hours. I've never seen the director's cut, but the regular cut is PG, 
It uh, won a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture, one of only 10 uh, musical Best Picture winners, if you can believe that. And uh, F. Murray Abraham won Best Actor. Tom Hulse was nominated for Best Actor. It's an amazing movie that took some creative liberties, to be sure, which most 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 of these movies do anyway. But uh, this one especially. The key to me to a good good. biopic is where you take inspiration from someone's life and then tell a good story about it. Don't feel beholden to telling every single event moment by moment. I have a homework assignment for you. Go watch Amadeus because that fits the description. I have never spent more than three hours on homework in my life and I don't intend to start now. I'm going to prove you wrong right now. Amadeus, Cole, is not... Three hours long. Amadeus is... No, well, that's the director's cut. (laughs) Give me a minute. Um, It's a very, very long movie. It's a good movie. Jeff also is a big fan of another musical biopic that we can kind of come together on, and that is Love and Mercy. Yeah. Where it doesn't do the formulaic, these are the events of this person's life kind of thing. It tells two separate stories that are very interrelated for two different times in Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys' life. Right. And I I love how Brian Wilson is portrayed by two different actors. One is Paul Dano playing young Brian Wilson. And the other, a very interesting choice, John John Cusack Cusack. playing older Mm -hmm. and uh, more sick Brian Wilson. And they, they show quite a bit of the process of making some of their more famous songs. That sounds, the whole album was fantastic. Right. They have Paul Dano playing a piano on beach sand, so he's barefoot, just like curling up the sand underneath his toes. You really ought to check it out. As far as biopics go, it's not as stereotypical. It's not your stereotypical biopic. It's at least, if nothing else, you can at least say that it's different from the rest of the biopic films. Right. Yeah. This leads us to some of our favorite musicals of all time. And now, Cole... I understand that we've kind of split this up into two different times, right? You mentioned stage actors coming on and portraying the character that they made famous when it became a movie. We made the defining line 1970 because one of the biggest musical and box office flops at the time was when Hello, Dolly! came in 1969. Carol Channing was the lady on Broadway, but then they recast her to a younger, more prettier, more sellable star whenever they made the movie. And the movie flopped big time after having a huge budget. I mean, it made some, it made good money, but musicals had such large budgets at this time that kind of the bubble burst. And in 1970, we started seeing different kind of musicals. Sure. So there was the golden age, which would be everything before 69, and then the modern age, 70 to today. And now, while most of the musicals I uh, gravitate toward today, uh, or in general, most of them would come from after 1970. However, some of the best overall were made before that time. And in fact, if you were to look up a list of, of musicals by year, most of them are coming way before 1970. It, I mean, that was every movie you would go see in the 30s and 40s that's what you were going to see pretty much at the movie theater was a musical, right? Yeah. 
That was that was the big box office draw. There was a time that RKO Pictures, which was one of the big studios back then, um, six of their most profitable movies were Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers yeah. movies. Yeah. So do you want to start uh, pre-1970 then? I would love to, and I would love to start with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Okay. My favorite of their movie is Top Hat. Top Hat. Which is the one that features dancing cheek to cheek as well as a lot of other. I think this is an amazing romantic comedy to be taken outside of the music that they sing as well. Because instead of being based on a lie and then the lie has to come out later, it's just a miscommunication between two people. Neither one of them is pretending Uh. to be someone else. They just think that each other is someone that they're not. And that's where the tension uh, comes to a head. And then they realize, oh... We could have fallen in love all along. Neither one of us were married. It's fine. We can love each other. That's like every movie back then. Wasn't Fred Astaire also in uh, Holiday Inn? Yes. I think it was the Absolutely. same with thing. With Crosby. Same thing with White Christmas. Interesting. I, I, I'm glad you said Top Hat, though. I've never seen it, but I've. it's consistently brought up as one of the best musicals. I spent a lot of time in my early age watching Turner Classic movies. Oh, if yeah. If I had to pick five TV channels that I watched probably the most as a kid, Nickelodeon, ESPN, Turner Classic movies is right there with them. Cole, I mean, you're speaking my language. I would, I would record like all these obscure movies from Turner Classic movies and watch most of them. So that's how I've seen a lot of the Woody Allen films that I've seen. Sure. <laughs> so for me, really quickly, I want to mention two films that that uh, I, I have to mention, even though they're not my ultimate picks. One of them, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, what are my top 10 favorite movies, would have been on my top 10 list. And that would be 1961's West Side Story. Another Amazing one of the 10. Music. Yeah, another one of the 10 best picture winners that was a musical also. Gosh, I just loved this growing up and there's so much good to be said about this. And again, uh, another one of those films where it's kind of a weird hybrid. It's not it's not auto-tuning the stars and it's not getting people that can sing, but the it was they got big stars to be in it. They got Natalie Wood to star in it. She doesn't do her own singing and neither does the guy that plays Tony. However, the two other supporting actors that did do their own singing, they both walked away with Oscars. Interesting. They're both they're all of these people except Natalie Wood, of course, are still alive too. Stephen Sondheim is the man that brought us the music for West Side yeah. Story. His name probably should be brought up, as well as Rogers and Hammerstein, if we yeah. haven't said it yet. These are the names. So the other film that I almost picked, but since we were limited to two, I didn't, but that we've already mentioned is Mary Poppins. I mean, it's just hit after hit after hit. This is the one that uh, got Julie Andrews her Oscar. It was nominated for Best Picture. And, oh, man, is there a song for Mary Poppins you don't like, Cole? Ooh. Well, I mentioned when the Mary Poppins remake came out that when they redid Step in Time, basically, with Tripping Mm -hmm. the Light Fantastic, that it was a little too long and just a little too much dancing in between, not enough music. So that's, I guess, the weak song. Of the bunch, but they're still all fantastic. I don't agree, but I respect your opinion there, Cole. Thanks. So one of my two favorites, and again, this has always been one of my favorite movies. I would love to show it to my kids. And even though it's rated G, I probably won't just yet because there are some really heavy themes in it. It's about an orphan boy 
And there are kids and wives being beaten in this movie. And so, like I said, pretty heavy themes. But everybody knows this line from this movie. Please, sir, I want some more. Oliver! Exclamation point. 1968. A third Best Picture winner musical that we've mentioned here today. And there have only been ten over the years. And this is another example of bringing the Broadway actor over to star in the movie. He was nominated for an Oscar, Ron Moody, and the the boy who played the Artful Dodger was also nominated for an Oscar. So many great songs, so many great moments. A lot of people might argue it hasn't aged well, but see it for Ron Moody as Fagin alone. And there's a great moment in the movie where he's contemplating, do I stay in this life of crime or do I go straight? And it's called, uh, it's called, I think I better think it out again. And it's such, oh, it's like the best part of the movie. Go see it and you won't be sorry. Another one of my favorites from the early days is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah. An amazing musical where the concept is sure as heck convoluted and the relationships are kind of weird, but the music in it is consistently amazing. You know, the only thing I remember from that movie is this big fight that breaks out while they're while building they're the raising house raising a house. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Raising a barn probably is what it is. Yeah. But yeah. And they, they kind of get a chance to dance fight, which I know West Side Story did pretty well. For my money, the best dance fighting happens there in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah. My other uh, favorite musical from pre-1970, and this is a film that uh, is arguably my favorite musical of all time, Cole. And I love it because it's a story of redemption. We all kind of know somebody that everybody just flocks to that person. We're very attracted that, to that person. They're, they're charming. They can get you to do things that maybe you might not want to do otherwise. And this comes from 1962, and it is The Music Man. I love this so movie. So not the Matthew Broderick music movie? No, 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 no. Okay. But Buddy Hackett Just has like a role. Just like we were talking about the, <laughs> the Matthew Broderick Godzilla earlier right. today. Buddy Hackett has a role in this, and Robert Preston is the, the Broadway star they brought over for this movie. And he is the music man. He is the Pied Piper. He's basically, if the Pied Piper sung songs, it would be Robert Preston and the music man. Great music, great message of forgiveness and redemption, and really, it's arguably my favorite musical of all time. So that brings us to post-1970, and I, like I said, I had many more on my list for this one, but probably not as many favorites as I might have had pre-1970. And it's a different kind of musical yeah, we started for getting sure. after here. Yeah, so, gosh, this one was tough as well for me to narrow down to just two, but ultimately... I'm going to go with two very recent picks, one of them being a movie that was nominated for Best Picture and that it still pains me to say that it did not win, even though it was mistakenly announced as the Best Picture winner of the year, 2016's La La Land. Our old producer Mickey would be proud of you, Jeff. Right. And this is a different type of musical altogether because, and certainly not the first to have done this, but we talked about movies that use auto-tuning. We talked about movies that bring in, like, professional singers. 
And this is a movie that doesn't necessarily have professional singers, even though Ryan Gosling did get a start on the Mickey Mouse Club. M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Mickey Mouse. Thank you very much. It should be noted that even though this is post-1970, this movie pays homage to the early films the early musical films that Cole and I have been talking about this entire time. Kind of more like the Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire type musicals. It harkens back to that Breaking age. out into song and dance. Even the ending of the movie is very reminiscent of Casablanca, another right. classic movie. And it's overall just a film equivalent love letter to the city of Los Angeles. And it's just a terrific film. One of my favorites is... Not set in Hollywood or about that Hollywood experience. It's set over across the pond with a little Irish group that wants to get together and create a band just like Duran Duran in the mid-80s. And it is Sing Street. Yeah! Came out just a couple years ago. Love it. Their songs, similarly to La La Land, aren't, you know, radio quality maybe. But it's designed to be this group of kids getting together and just making up songs about what they hear. And so it's the story of a band, but it's fictionalized. It's not one of these biopic kind of things. And it's got got great songs and, and got cool acting from the kids in it as well. Yeah. And before I share my final favorite musical of post-1970, it, like I said, it was so difficult for me to narrow it down. I could have said Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that I grew up with and loved. I could have said some of my more recent favorites like Coco, or I could have mentioned Sweeney Todd or any number of Disney movies like Aladdin. But ultimately, I chose one from 1976, one that you would be hard-pressed to find, but it's worth seeking out, Bugsy Malone. All of the songs are written by Paul Williams, nominated for an Oscar for one of the songs in this film. And... The reason this movie musical is so unique is because it's this gangster movie set in the speakeasy days, but all of the characters are played by child actors, and all of the singing voices are dubbed over with adult singing voices. Weird. So, Paul, you hear Paul Williams singing a lot on the soundtrack. And I think we're going to... Come back to Paul Williams here in a little bit. But before we do, you mentioned Sweeney Todd as an honorable mention. And I want to dive into that weird subgenre of horror movie musicals that includes Sweeney Todd and Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Show. I could have picked any of those, but my favorite just has to come from that House of Mouse that we've been singing about. And that is Disney. And my favorite Disney Renaissance movie is... Hercules. Hercules has just the greatest music. I won't say I'm in love is is the saddest but best love song. All of the muses guiding us through the musical journey of the entire movie and also I can go the distance. The the real theme of the song as Hercules really becomes the true hero that he knows that Zeus knows that he can be. I have always loved Hercules and it is my favorite movie musical. Okay. Well, Cole, I'm not ready to give up this discussion of the musical just yet. So when we come back, in addition to going over our summer movie box office scoreboard, and uh, in addition to that, we're going to come back with our Panning for Good segment, which will include a movie you've got to check out. 
And that's up next here on Screen Clean. For all his friends, he always seems to be alone. But they love him, bugs him alone. And welcome back to the show. Each and every week this summer, Cole and I are going to be taking a closer look at the summer movie box office numbers. And uh, we've got a little friendly wager going on. I don't think we've actually determined the prize, but I think if I win, it has something It'll be to do popcorn with popcorn related. Movie popcorn, right? Uh, and maybe I'll take you to to get a a burger somewhere. I don't know. I'm not a big popcorn fan myself. We'll split a pizza. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so far, I think we're doing okay. I'm probably doing a little better than Cole is with my pick of Aladdin. I think I had that at number five on my list. You had it at number eight. I was pretty down on Aladdin before the summer started and before I got to actually see it. (laughs) But right now, of the top three films of the summer, Aladdin is number one, and it currently is sitting at $136 million. But it's got a long way to go before it can uh, take my five spot because I think I had it earning around $250 million domestically. After just one week, it passed a movie that I thought would be above it at the end of the summer, and that's Pokemon Detective Pikachu, now second place with $122 million. Right, and creeping up on it and probably very close to overtaking Pokemon is John Wick Chapter 3, a movie that neither Cole nor I had on our top ten list. John Wick... Man. That's the surprise of the summer. Uh, I So before my surprise pick was going to be Rocket Man, before I found out that it was going to be rated R, because yes. I thought it would tap into some of that Bohemian Rhapsody energy, I might, if if you will let me, it, before Rocket Man even comes out, to flip-flop that out for yesterday, another musical movie coming out in this summer that I think might get people singing along. Now, wait a minute. That will be rated PG-13. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So is Rocket Man on your list of top ten? It is. It's at number nine, I believe. Um, I I'm gonna have to turn to our judges on this one. I am so sorry, Cole. You are going to have to keep Rocket Man at number nine. But listen, if John Wick can overtake Pokemon and be rated R, why couldn't Rocket Man? I think people are excited to see it. I think people love Bohemian Rhapsody, and I think they may love this movie just as much. And maybe that rated R... uh, It won't scare them away. It won't scare them away. That'd be nice. Yeah. Godzilla is coming out today. We've done a review for it. I think it's pretty decent. I think it'll get people in the seats to watch giant monsters fighting each other. We both had it in our top ten, but pretty low. Ten for me, nine for you. Is it my number nine? Yes. Okay. I think my number ten is Dark Phoenix, which is coming out next week. Every week there's something new in the summer box office. All right. I can taste the butter on that popcorn already, Cole. (laughs) And as you know, we like to end each and every show by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. A few years back, we got a reboot of sorts in the form of a movie called The Muppets which now featured music not by Paul Williams, but instead by Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords fame. Ah. I think Brett McKenzie was a terrific choice 
to enlist the help of for this reboot of the Muppets movies. However, I don't want to mention the Muppets because of the two most recent Muppet movies for which Brett McKenzie has written music. I actually prefer Muppets Most Wanted. Now, if there's a downfall to any of the Muppets movies is that they don't have the best plots in the world. They don't really have much of a story. Uh, Muppets Christmas Carol aside. Okay. And and Muppet Treasure Island would be a side as well because that's yeah, but it, the Treasure that's Island a weak link in the Muppet. Uh, nah, uh, well, the scurvy song—it's fantastic. Okay, <laughs> well, hear me out, Cole, because Muppets Most Wanted actually has a plot. Now, I'll admit it goes on for way too long, but it involves uh, they're they're kind of picking up where the last movie went left off, where they're going on a tour. This guy named Dominic Dominic Badgie. It's pronounced Badgie, even though if you look at his business card, it says Dominic Bad Guy, a dead giveaway that Ricky Gervais's character is going to be the bad guy in the movie. Uh, he convinces them to go on this tour, but it's all a ruse because Ricky Gervais and a Kermit lookalike are going to follow all these clue- clues to find this hidden treasure. But that means there can only be one Kermit. And the real Kermit ends up in a Russian gulag, which is headed up by Tina Fey with a terrific Russian accent, I must say. And there are some fantastic songs in this movie, including this one where evil Kermit, or Constantine, is singing to Miss Piggy, telling her he can give her anything she wants. Dreams come true. You want a unicorn, I'll give it to you. You want a puppet dog, I'll give it to you. You want an ice cream cone, I'll give it to you. You want a mortgage loan, I'll give it to you. You want a set You want a mortgage loan, I'll give it to you. And you really ought to go look up this video online because there's an extended version of the song. The movie version only gives you a slice of it. One of the best lyrics from the song is cut from the film. But he's listing all these things like, you want these things? Yeah, I'll give it to you. And then he says, you want to go to the moon? Uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because going to the moon, that's a pretty tall order. Anyway, Brett McKenzie is a musical genius. You don't have to look much farther than Fly to the Concords, the TV show, or any of their concerts to see that. He won an Oscar for the Muppets, and he continues the wonderful streak with Muppets Most Wanted. Another Muppets song that I was going to mention possibly, but that we definitely oh. so many should pan for a little good today rainbows. about the original Muppets movie and Rainbow Connection, Paul Williams. Paul Williams. Rainbows are visions, but only So many great Muppets songs through the years, but this, probably my favorite. And that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We hope you've enjoyed hearing about some of our favorite musicals, so much so that maybe this weekend you'll pop one of them in the DVD player and just introduce them to your kids or revisit them yourselves. These are classic movies, folks. They used to only make musicals pretty much, and uh, they're sticking around. we got La La Land to look at. We've got Moana and The Greatest Showman and Coco. So many to choose from. And check them out. You won't be disappointed. Until next time, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. Join us again next week when we do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning.